everyone, and welcome back to the show. Today's guest, I am super, super honored to call him a friend and to have him on today. Mr. Ken Hines, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Pili. How are you today? So good. It has been a blessed morning. So Ken, Ken started single family real estate while in the army. When he retired, he had a portfolio of five single family rentals in five different states. We'll get more into that later. And then he started to look into multifamily, first as a limited partner into a total of six different deals. He decided to move from single family rentals into multifamily and used his equity from his single family rentals via a 1031 exchange, refinancing and sales to purchase one 10 unit. And he is also under contract for seven more units. So Ken, welcome to the show. There's so much to unpack there, but first let's get started with your genesis. Like how did you get started in real estate? Well, it all started like when I was in the army, my first couple of duty stations, um, like my dad had done some sort of, uh, like he had done, you know, a small apartment or a small multifamily when I was growing up. So we always had like tenants around. And so it was always sort of in my blood. And then uh, at my first duty station, I was renting and it just hit to me like, hey, I'm not really using my money correctly. So I ended up buying my first house, bought it all wrong, but I ended up buying my first house in, in North Carolina while I was stationed there. And then when I left, I had to plan on, I had some mentors tell me, you know, you're always going to come back here. So turn it into a rental and you always have a place to come back to to get stationed back there. And so I turned it into a rental when I left. And then uh, and it, that formula seemed to click for me. So at every 2D station while I was stationed in the States, um, I just repeated that process. So, so that's, did you, did you learn that from someone or did you, was just something that made sense to you? A little bit of both. Like at my first two, I, um, I, you know, a couple of the, all the people, some all the rugby, rugby players and stuff, had mentioned that they were buying houses and, and it's turning them into rentals because it's, around military communities, there's always like a rental demand because people are always moving in or moving out. And so I thought it'd be just like the best place to park my money for a while, you know, because I didn't know at the time that I was gonna make it a 20 year career, but I was gonna go someplace, come right back to North Carolina. And so I just like the stability of having a house there. So, you know, if I ever did end up coming back, I have a place to stay. I wouldn't have to worry about moving back. And it would be a place where it could provide some passive income uh, while, while I wasn't there. So while you were in the Army, while serving, you started your real estate career. How many years did that span? Uh, 22. 22 years. So in those 22 years, you took time. You took down five single family rentals in five different states. And so what I'm trying to get to for my audience is that while you were in the army, you started taking action. You started seeing where this road could take you. So you're nearing retirement. You have these five single family rentals. What happens next? Well, Mike, my, my, my original goal uh, when, I, when, it, when I started, hey, after I realized, hey, I had done 10 years and figuring this would be a career was... I wanted the houses to provide offset the housing allowance that I was receiving when I was in active duty. So that was my initial plan: have have like have that provide passive income uh, to replace the housing allowance. And that was maybe too small of a goal because by the time I retired, you know, it, it nearly doubled that. And so, um, but then you also have the headaches of trying to manage five different property managers in, in five different states as you're going through. So um, once I once I retired, like I knew. Um, multifamily. I heard I had heard about multifamily, but I really wasn't really experienced in it. Figured, hey, what what do I have to do to get into this this space? 
And so I started taking some courses, went to one or two boot camps, and then uh, uh, learned about, you know, being uh, a limited partner. So that was my sort of my first step into uh, the multifamily stage while I was still managing or owning the single families. So let's talk about that a little bit. You have five different properties in five different states. You already man, you already mentioned that it was difficult to manage five different property managers. So you're starting to learn to get into multifamily. What is some, what are some of the, for those of, in my audience that don't know the difference, what are some of the huge differences that you're seeing between having those five single family rentals and getting in as a limited partner into large multifamily? Well, when you have the rentals, you sort of like you're responsible for everything, the houses, everything. So something goes wrong, you know, or um, I, if there's like a maintenance issue or something like that, you know, it, 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 it automatically affects your bottom line. And especially on, on the vacancy side and you know, on the single family side, you know, when, once there's a turnover, you know, that might be a month or two um, for to, to get it filled again because only certain families would, would, would occupy the single family houses were. And the multifamily where I was a limited partner, I would see like vacancies make me take a week or 10 days. And you really wouldn't notice it because, you know, on the deals I was in, it was like 100 units, 200 unit places. So there was always something vacant. And so the vacancy seemed to hit a lot less and it seemed to be, a lot, you could, um, a lot more economies of scale as you, as you go forward. You know, your money seemed to go a lot further. That is amazing. I love how you mentioned economies of scale because that's one of the hugest difference between multifamily and single family is just that you you have one vacant in your five different units across the states. That's a fifth of your of your income mm-hmm. that's that's gone. Whereas you have one vacant in a hundred unit building. Well, you can do the math right then and there. So you jump into as a limited partner. How did that help you to take the next steps? to becoming a general partner, to becoming a sponsor of your own deal? It, uh, first thing is help me just understand what the finances and that sort of like the economics and the, and the math behind multifamily. Like what is like a rent roll? What are some of like the um, differences in loan products? Because as a single family, especially like when I was turning my, pro- like what I did is turn I lived in it as a primary and it turned that into a rental. So there's different loan products available for like a single family owner occupier than just an investor or, or, or your debt. So what are the different debt products out there? You know, what are, what, like, um, how do you maximize your, your revenue? Cause in a single family, you only have the rent, but in a multifamily, you have like, you know, uh, rent, laundry income, you might have pets, you might have parking, stuff like that. So, 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 so several of the different, um, like partnerships that I, that I saw, uh, you know, you notice the different streams of income coming in and how they all, you know, it might, it might seem small, but you add them cumulatively over the year, they all impact uh, the, the bottom line. So just, you know, the different streams of income, uh, all, all that. So that was like, uh, some of the major differences. And so just and getting comfortable with like adding zeros to your, to your, to your analysis, because you know, you buy a home for like a hundred thousand or something like that and you rent it for a thousand, you know, but now you're scaling up into the, into like the million dollar range or something like that. It might seem unsettling just to add a couple of zeros, but you realize it's, it's just math at the end of the day. So it has helped me become more comfortable taking on larger products and seeing, you know, as long as you do your, your good, your underwriting is good, your due diligence is good, you know, it's just, a, I don't really, I wouldn't say it's just a math problem, but you know, it's just problems that are bigger, um, the same problems 
over the, over the zero, couple more zeros and, and they're all solvable. Yeah, and I've heard from other operators and this is true for us as well. I feel like as we get bigger, it almost gets easier. Again, we're talking about um, bringing in operational deficiencies as well and how you can operate the property even better and being able to not only manage the asset, but manage your managers. Now, going back to what you said about having five different managers in five different states for a single family family rental, now you have one manager for 10 units in one state. Tell us about a little bit about the differences there and how you included operational deficiencies and how you were be you are being able to improve the building that you just took down. Well, for, first, you, you're just dealing with one person. And so mm-hmm. uh, I, I have just a, one property manager that's handling all the maintenance stuff, stuff like that. So if like tenant, uh, one of the tenants is late or they have an issue with their plumbing, you know, I'm not trying to run down a, a plumbing contractor or a landscaper. It's just one person that's handling all, all that stuff. And then, you know, if I have one uh, person that's late on the rent, you know, I'm not sweating it because the nine others are paid and I have, I have, a, I have a reserve built. And so it's just peace of mind. It, it's so much easier because you, you have nine things. So you need, basically you need a lot more to go wrong uh, on, on the multifamily where, um, versus a single family where a person may move out, you know, before the lease ends or something like that. And then now you're stuck with an empty building. Fantastic. So I want to jump ship a little bit. You are with us in seven figure multifamily. How has your time with us been thus far? Oh, oh great. You know, just, just the networking alone has, has been phenomenal. It's simply, you know, cause we have people that are just starting out in the real estate journey. Like, uh, they're doing their first deal, like to me that have done maybe one or two deals that are trying to look at expand the, the guys like the Robinsons or, or other people that have you know, done many deals, you know, they're already established in the space and they have a lot, so much experience that they can give back. And so, you know, you, you just realize we're all on the same journey, just on different steps to it, you know, and we all could help each other. And you, you can help to people behind, not behind you, but people that are starting out. And you also provide some value to the people of done other things because they might have done the same thing you've done and so you can provide your feedback your experience and you can provide your, whatever skill sets you have like underwriting due diligence you know hey you know I'm, I'm looking at this 10 unit what are some of the things that are they different from uh, this looking at a single family like how to do a lease audit or a rent roll audit and stuff like that how to examine the t12 so you know, just the, the wealth of expertise that, that is available in the group that you can reach out and touch to. So if I have a question, you know, I'm not trying to Google it. I just put it in the group, go, hey, guys, have you, anyone seen this or I'm running this problem on my lease audit or on my due diligence? What do you guys think? And then either uh, Jason pipes in and Chad pipes in and then gave a couple other guys that's giving your feedback. And so you get a lot more set of eyes on your deals. And so there might be some, like, um, if there's a mistake out there that, you get it, you get it pointed out. And so you get a lot more comfortable doing those bigger deals because it's not just you, it's your, you have like a semi team pseudo team behind you that's looked at the deal and provided feedback to it. I love it. It's like, you have all these people in your corner rooting for you, but they're also going to tell you when something goes difficult, when something's wrong, right? Exactly. Hey, you might want to look at this, right? You know, that doesn't look right. Or you may want to examine that further because, you know, and and that'll save you stress, money, 
heartache time just having guys that either done before or say hey you you know you probably want don't want don't want to even go down that road because it's going to be down the, uh, two years down the road you just have the same problem and stuff like that and sometimes sometimes it's just like that little comment that little like piece of advice that saves you tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars because they saw something that you didn't. So mm-hmm. I want to bring up another thing because in our mastermind, you have become one of the leaders because you and Caroline Kahn, another one of our mastermind meter, uh, leaders in in the mastermind has taken upon yourself to have these weekly underwriting calls, even when we were just starting. So tell me a little bit about these calls that you do and how that not only helps you, but helps the community. Well, uh, me, me and Caroline decided like after the first ones, like we were both interested in, in the, like the analyzer, like how to underwrite deals. Cause we had done some of it before, like, uh, cause there's some resources out there, but we hadn't really dove in depth. So, um, for, for us, it's just, it's just reps, you know, because the more you underwrite, the better, better you get on it, no matter what, what the deal. And we have such a wide variety of uh, members. Some guys are doing like, you know, 60, 80, 80, 80 unit deals. You know, Yuri's, you know, ha- owning half of Dallas and, and <laughs> so like that. And so you have a wide variety of deals. So every time you do one, like, and they're all different. Like, so you have to take it like, uh, what's the difference in property taxes in Texas versus Tennessee, you know, what are the rental rates in Florida versus North Carolina, stuff like that. So the more you do it for me and Caroline, we just get, you know, reps in and um, become better underwriters. And for people that we, that come to the calls, you know, they get like a second set of eyes and like we provide some of that feedback saying, Hey, we've seen in other deals that like property taxes will jump up after you buy, or these insurance rates are, are really like Aaron Pinto is really great. At, like she'll go and she'll like notice trends that like even me and Caroline will see like, insurance costs or, you know, maintenance, maintenance, maintenance being under 10% or something like that. And that, not really red flags, but maybe, maybe something that you need to investigate more in your due diligence phase saying, Hey, why is this cost so low? Or why are these costs so high in, in, in the T12? And so, you know, all of us are providing some feedback uh, to the deal and it helps not only the person that has the deal that brings it to us, but everyone on the call because they see, you know, all the things that go into underwriting a multifamily deal. I love it because you can, as you're breaking it down and as you're having these conversations with your team members, with your partners, with your fellow mastermind members, you're also learning at the same time. So like you said, it's all about the reps. That's how you learn. So for any of my listeners out there that are thinking about getting into large multifamily, please tap on the link below, but do exactly what Ken says, practice find an underwriting sheet and simply practice, start getting used to, to it. Because when you, I mean, Ken, be honest with me. When you first looked at our underwriting sheet, what did you think? Can't repeat that on. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 was, it, was, it was complicated. It was, it was a little bit daunting. I understood most of it, but like there's some stuff like that you just don't understand like how it how impact like the bottom line. And what I like about, uh, uh, the analyze sheet, it'll take you take out a couple of years. So you're not just looking at year one. Uh, so you, you see like, hey, uh, small changes in year one, year two uh, will help you down, like say a five-year hold or something like that. So, you know, it just, you realize how many different variables and how many, you know, things impact it. And it's all about, you know, what, what returns or what, you know, um, what's important to you because you could like um, sort of like, 
not customize it, but you can sort of like tailor it. So, hey, my investors want the cash on cash return. You know, this is where I I I I, I, I can figure it out. Now, this is total IR something like that. If I want to offer like a, a preferred return to somebody, how is that going to impact it? So, it, it's 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 tailable. So you could suit it to. If I want and if I want to take the deal down by myself. You know, or just me and a couple of JV partners. You know, how would that look versus if I'm syndicating it and uh, I'm having general partners and limited partners? So it's all about getting used to your numbers because when it comes down to it, it's about the numbers, and but it's also about the people that you surround yourself with and what that, what kind of value that not only you can provide to the people that you surround yourself with, but that team that you collect around you to bring to your deal because somebody might bring to a deal something that'll save you again, tens of thousands of dollars, which makes the deal work. But without that person, the deal wouldn't have worked. So Mm -hmm. Ken, as we move into the future, what does the future look like for you? You had mentioned in your bio, you have a seven unit coming along. Um, What does your future look like? Uh, The the immediate future would be uh, this um, learning out more on the, the asset management side, you know, stabilizing the seven unit, making it more, run it more and more efficiently and the 10 unit. Okay. Cause a lot, like sometimes we might get too caught up on underwriting the deal, but not running the deal itself. Mm-hmm. So um, how do I like make that uh, make, make them run more efficiently. And then uh, near term, probably uh, either JVing or, or uh, joining a, G- a general partner team, as far as on the due diligence uh, underwriting and asset management side. That those are I'm a number, numbers guy. I was a former engineer, so I think that's where my skill set is. And that's where I could bring the most value to a team. And so, uh, working on uh, the GP team and my target markets and figuring out, you know, what, what are some of the best deals there. Let's dig into that a little bit. Let's talk about asset management. Then we'll talk about being a valuable team member because I think that, that'll bring us full circle to your time in the army. So, with asset management. So all you hear about in like the wild world web is mostly about getting the deal, finding the deal, mm-hmm. underwriting the deal, getting to the deal, getting it closed, close, close, close. What happens after is what makes or breaks the deal, right? So talk, uh, talk to us a little bit about your experiences right now in managing your assets. Well, both good and, and, and bad. Um, I would say... Uh, where I got into a habit, and I think people get into a habit on the, um, especially on my single family side, if it's there and it's performing, you know, you sort of forget about it. So you forget about, you know, like raising rents or you know, maintaining it. So, so, so I learned from my, from my single family days, you know, you can't just, you know, set it and forget it because, you know, you might not be getting, making it most efficient. You might, you know, be losing some money on the rents because like one house, I had the same tenant for seven years and I only raised like, I didn't raise the rents at all until, you know, last year. And so, yes, it's great. There's no turnover and stuff like that. But then also you, you realize it's not, it's not kept up the market. And so like you do all the analyze, like, hey, you know, we need to bring up the markets. We need to do all these things. But once you get the asset, you realize how hard that is, you know, because it's actually people's tennis lives you're dealing with. So you can't just like boot everybody out or, you know, raise the rents the first couple of months. You got to see, you know, what 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 the community is like, what what the tenants want, or what what they need as far as you know what what improvements like putting washer dryers into the units now instead of uh, them going to a laundromat something like that. So, what are the key improvements that you can make to make the tenants life better? Is that they they want to stay? Because the main lesson I've learned throughout is 
and it's hard to capture on, on, your, on the writing sheet unless you know is like, what are the turnover and vacancy costs? Because that will kill your kill your deal if like you start you start like upgrading and then people leave and then they'll come back or you over improve it or stuff like that. So, what are the key improvements that are that are needed? And then what 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 are that to bring the max value that will make the tenant stay? And so because the 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 vacancy and the turnover costs are one of your I would say hidden hidden things that uh, you can cap try to capture it on a on your underwriting, but until you actually start going through it, you realize that that's probably one of your biggest cost drivers right there. I love it. And thank you for that advice. As you go into asset management, you can plan all you want in your underwriting, in your business plan. And by all means, once you get to this step, implement that business plan, but know when to pivot. It's not a set and forget it type of deal. Once you are an asset manager, you are managing that asset until disposition. And you have not only the duty towards your tenants, but you also have the duties towards your investors as well. You want to make sure that you get to those returns that you had not so much promised, but you had put down into your underwriting. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about, and you had mentioned this, about putting that team together. How does having the right team around you help you to further along not only your goals, but the goals of your, for instance, your buildings. What importance does that team carry? First, first, like their experience in, in, in your, their target market or your target buildings. Like um, I had a, a bad experience as an LP where uh, uh, a couple of GPs have moved into a new market and a new building in class size. I, I as an LP, didn't have enough uh, knowledge to know like how you like sort of research or vet your, your GP teams. And so they ran into issues uh, on, on trying to run that run that asset. And they didn't have like the right team on the ground. Like um, the, they went through three or four property managers. So on building the right team, you could use, hey, who, what kind of property management team do you have? Who, are you, who, who do you use for lending? Who are some of the good insurance guys that will get, get not only get you the, the best quotes and stuff, but get back to you in a timely manner. Because sometimes it's not all about dollars, it's about the time and response you know, and the mm-hmm. communication between you and your other team members that could make or break a deal. Because if you're waiting on a quote or if you're waiting on information in today's market, you know, that deal is going to go away or that deal is going to be under LOI before you guys have a chance to either put an LOI in or you know, make revisions to it. So, um, and then learning about yourself, like w- what you're good at and what you bring to the table and where you are lacking or what other piece all parts or pieces that you need because I'm really good at numbers and looking at looking at properties and figure out you know, what's the best. That's where I'm trying to get to is like figure out what, what are the best ways you can run a property. But as far as like talking to people, talking to tenants, talking to investors and raising capital, that's a whole skill set within itself. You know, as I progress, I knew I know I'm going to need uh, that that area. Somebody else to bring that to the team. So I had to bring my 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 underwriting and my asset management versus people bringing the capital raising, investor relations and stuff like that. Fantastic. And Ken, thank you for being a part of Seven Figure Multifamily and basically being a part of the team and the the world that we are trying to build together. So before I let you go, what are some key bits of advice that you can give my listeners as they walk this journey? I mean, the, 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 probably the key thing and that sort of held me up was 
don't be afraid to, to make mistakes. There's a difference between make, making mistakes and failing. You're going to make some mistakes going along. Like the first two houses I bought, like I bought, I would say completely wrong, but you know, they weren't, I didn't do any analysis or anything like that of the market. So, but at the end of the day, you know, you buy your real estate and hold, you know, they've worked out for me, Dave. And so, and two, don't be afraid to, to either network or get out there because other people are on the same journey, have made the same mistakes, you know. And so you can, you can utilize your network and your community to help not only bring value to them, but they bring value to you. Because the bigger your network is, the more value you're going to have, the more value you can bring to your, your people. So the key phrase is to bring value and to surround yourself with those that can also bring value to those around you. Mm-hmm. So Ken, again, thank you so much for being on with me. If any of my listeners want to get a hold of you, how can they do so? Uh, probably the best way is LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Kenneth Hines, and then, uh, or, or the Facebook group. I'm with Family Life on the Facebook group. Fantastic. LinkedIn or Facebook, we will drop those links below. Ken, again, thank you so much. I am so grateful to you and your time. And to all of my listeners out there, super grateful to you. If you have any thoughts of jumping into multifamily, please tap on that link below. And if you have any time right now, please rate, review, and subscribe. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much. So much aloha, so much love, so much peace. Thank you again, Ken. Thank you. Aloha.